0: So we are starting a brand new study this morning, and we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're going to walk through this Gospel. It's one of the more unique Gospels uh, of the four, and we're going to talk about this morning. What I want to do this morning is talk about the Gospel of Mark, and then also who Mark was, and give us a background on that. So let's pray this morning. Father, you did some amazing things back in the day, and you chose certain people to write really powerful things. We're familiar with Paul. We know his writings well. We're familiar with Luke. We're familiar with John and and the things he wrote. And now we're going to look at your Gospel of Mark. And it has a unique place. It has a unique role. John Mark himself is quite a story. And we want to lay that background well this morning before we go into the book so we have an understanding of the context and who what and how that was all shaped by. And give us uh, your grace this morning. We, we saying that. And we need that. Lord, every Sunday is a miracle. And every Sunday is dynamic. Like my week was, I would assume, many others in this room had the same experience. Some of ours, the, the dynamic was great. And some of us, it was hard. And we, we gather together like this. And this is where your spirit ministers. It's not just us. You walk among us and you can talk to us and you can have conversations by your Spirit. And we pray that you do and we ask this in your name. Amen. Alright. So so we're going to call this the Gospel of Immediacy. And you'll see why once we get to it. But Mark is just kind of a boom, 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 lay it out there kind of thing. So let's start with a little background in history just so we can take a look at where did this all come from and how it shaped. So Mark... Uh, in your Bible is the third gospel in the order, but it's probably the first one written. Most Bible scholars believe, and we'll, I'll show you why they think that. And uh, and so it has a, a very unique place uh, in terms of the biblical order. If you go back into history, there are very few quotes. Um, so Mark did not have, the gospel did not have, a position of real prestige back in the day. Uh, it was there, there, There's very few quotes from the apostolic fathers or even from the se- second century apologists when all the uh, heresies were going on and they were countering that. Not many quoted from the book of Mark. Uh, and so as a result, it was kind of seen as Augustine thought it was an abridgment to the Gospel of Matthew, kind of a, a cheat sheet, short version of it. And, uh, and so uh, it didn't really get a lot of attention. Uh, John and Matthew and Luke, uh, much more prominent in that era. And actually the first commentary on Mark was by Victor of Antioch in the 5th century. So you're talking a long time. And When Victor tried to look up commentaries on the Gospel of Mark, he couldn't find any. Right? And so he had to actually create his own and he, he went through and searched for comments that people had made and found a few. So there wasn't a lot on that. And so, um some of the reasons for that, why why that actually happened is Mark wasn't an apostle, right? He wasn't like Matthew or he wasn't like John and or even Luke who was attached to Paul and had that kind of apostolic kind of thing. And so, um, it, it didn't carry the, the same prestige, I would say. Uh, and, um, and then it, it kind of remained in the shadows until the rise of modern biblical criticism in the 19th century. And that's when uh, guys really started to dig into the text, dig into the history. A bunch of things like that came to be. And a lot of study was included. And it, through the results, I won't take you through all of that, okay, redaction criticism and all that kind of stuff, but as a result of that, it was actually concluded that Mark was the first gospel written, and thus now, uh, back then when that actually came to be, there was suddenly this resurgence in the study of the gospel of Mark, and now Mark has this really preeminent place uh, in the hierarchy of the gospels because we realize it was the first one written. And it's. how it worked out was they've concluded that Matthew and Luke both uh, Luke mentions Mark in the book of Acts several times. And it's concluded that Luke and Matthew actually borrowed from Mark in the construction construction of their gospels. That's what's called the synoptic gospels, right? There's three of them that are really similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John's really different, right? If you've read them, you know what I'm talking about. So the three Matthew, Mark, and Luke are really Uh, close together in terms of order and uh, theme. And so they feel like Matthew and Luke borrowed from Mark and then wrote their accounts and and expanded some. So that's kind of where we've really come. The question this morning is, who is Mark? You have a lot of biblical writers. Who is Mark and what kind of guy was he? So history tells us that Mark is the John Mark of the New Testament. So he's a person that we know about. There are mentions of him. We we know about his his name. He here's a fun fact. He was called stump fingered. Okay, that's a quite a nickname, right? I grew up in Wisconsin with nicknames, and so I appreciate stump fingered. And they said the reason was is that his hands were really small and stubby compared to the rest of his body. So they called him stump fingered. Don't think of saints. Can't you imagine getting to heaven going? Hey, stumpy, you know. I doubt that would go over well. Probably wouldn't appreciate it. Um, But what we know of him is that he was Peter's apprentice and writer. Um, Well, I'll show you the trail of how that all happened. But he was attached to the Apostle Peter. And this would be in Rome. Uh, This would be when both Paul and Peter were in Rome. This is about... AD 60 to AD 66, this is uh, when Nero created the fire in Rome and then blamed the Christians and the persecutions broke out. And when the persecutions broke out, that's when it's believed that Mark wrote this gospel because he knew people would need a gospel to stand firm in the face of that kind of um, oppression and that kind of persecution. And so that's the setting uh, that it was wrote. Uh, as I mentioned, he wrote it so that this gospel is written in Italy, right? Italy's an, an amazing place and lots of stuff historically has happened there. And uh, it was written during that great persecution of Nero. So Mark, if we track him through the New Testament, uh, he's, he's first mentioned uh, in the book of Acts. This is in Acts 12.12. 12. This is the story of, do you remember when in the book of Acts, Peter is thrown in jail by Herod? And he wants to kill Peter. And so he throws him in an inner dungeon. They have guards uh, guarding the gate. In the middle of the night, an angel comes, shakes Peter, tells him, get up. And so Peter's like, he's not sure if he's awake or dreaming or what's going on. But he kind of follows, and the gates to the jail open, and he walks out. And then he walks out through another series of gates, and he finds himself outside. he's like, ha. So he knows there's a place where a group of believers are meeting, He comes to the door and he knocks on the door and uh, a servant girl, Rhoda, comes up to the door and looks, sees it's Peter, shuts the door, runs back and tells everybody Peter's at the door. Can you imagine being Peter? Uh, Hello? (laughs) Kind of funny. And uh, and they wouldn't believe her and finally they came and realized it was Peter. So this is when he, Peter, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. And there were many gathered uh, together and they were praying. And they, who were they praying for? They were praying for Peter. So you can imagine you're praying for the guy and there he is at the door. No, he's not. He's in jail. Right? Kind of thing. So um, so Mary is the mother of uh, John Mark. Now, there are a lot of Marys in the New Testament. Okay? And it's easy to get them all messed up. So you have Mary who's the mother of Jesus you have Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons cast out of her. You have Mary, the mother of Clopas. And now you have Mary, the mother of John Mark. Uh, Mary, the mother of John Mark, uh, it has this home. Uh, there's no mention of her husband in, in Scripture. And uh, she is one of the women who follows Jesus through his itinerant preaching and helps support him. In in the New Testament, we read there's a number of women that followed and ministered to him, right? They helped financially support the ministry. That ministry was the bag given that which Judas Iscariot stole from, right? So you've seen all the connections here and the ties. So this isn't, he just showed up at a house. This is, He knew where to go. He knew who was meeting. He knew exactly where they'd be, and they showed up at Mary's house, and that she was the mother of John Mark. Uh, Mark is next mentioned in the um, book of Acts as uh, Paul and, and Barnabas' helper in their first missionary journey. So he gets in on the first uh, journey. John Mark is a cousin to Barnabas, and so Barnabas brings him along, and so it says the Holy Spirit came to the first church in Antioch, and they had seven elders, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. And so they did, and Paul and Barnabas launched into what would become one of three missionary journeys uh, recorded in the book of Acts. And it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And so John's with them. They're working. They're traveling along. So this is the first team, the first missionary team going out, and John's part of that team. So pretty significant uh, place. Probably uh, a younger guy, and uh, pretty awesome setup. The next uh, context is not very flattering, though. All right, it says this. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. How you like all those names? Isn't that awesome. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But when they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. Right? So what this scripture tells us is John bailed. All right? He got into it. They did some... They saw some great stuff happen. They kept going. There was a lot of hard stuff that happened to Paul because he ran into opposition almost everywhere he went. John watched that. Probably didn't like it. And so he bails on him. All right? And... and, and Heads back, gets a ship, and heads back to Jerusalem. And said, "That's enough of that. I'm I'm out of here." All right. And so, you don't often think of the biblical characters. You know, we always think of them always falling through. John Mark didn't. And then the next um, context that we get of him is that he is a huge source of contention between Paul and Barnabas. In Acts 15, we find out after some days, Paul said to Barnabas. Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them uh, had not gone with them on to the work. And there rose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to to Cyprus, and then it says that Paul took Silas. This is the first mention in the New Testament of Silas. So Paul and Silas go one way, Barnabas and Mark go another way. And this is the last mention of Barnabas in the New Testament. Okay? We don't really know what happened to him. There's no other record of him. But what we do know is that he took John Mark under his wing, probably because he was his cousin, and probably because he knew he blew it. And he wanted to give him another chance. Have you ever wanted God to give you another chance? Here's the great thing. God gives you redos, all right? And you've got to repent. You've got to get it right. But you got redos. And so Barnabas took John Mark under his um, wing. And what we find out is he makes a comeback, all right? Uh, Mark is seen back in Rome with Paul about the time that Paul was writing the book of Colossians. So in, in the New Testament, if you look at the dating and all this, Paul is writing two books, Colossians and Philemon. Now, Philemon's in the back. It's just a one-chapter book, uh, if you're familiar with it. And um, it says it says this. He makes a comeback and says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. That's how he knew he was his cousin. Paul says so. Concerning whom you've re- if you've received instructions, if he comes to you, Welcome him. There's a warming up going on here. There's an embracing going on here. There's a welcoming back going on here. Uh, Paul is graciously letting them know, hey, and if John Mark shows up, welcome him in. Take him in. He's, he's part, of, part of the team. If Philemon says this. Paul writes this in Philemon. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Okay? What's interesting in this list is Luke is now here. Luke mentions himself. right? Luke is listed as one of Paul's followers. And you have Aristarchus, we heard his name before. Demas. Demas becomes the second John Mark. And that Demas is in ministry of Paul. And it, it says later that he left uh, and, and uh, quit just like John Mark had. But there's no record of Demas ever rebounding. right, and so interesting if you know these names, uh, but Mark is included in the list. Paul's again saying, uh, my fellow prisoners, they send greetings as well as Mark. So now it's regular conversation, and every letter that Paul's sending out, by the way, part of the team is Mark, right? And so you can tell he's back uh, in good stead again. By the end of Paul's life, He's in in full favor. Let me move this forward here. There we go. Paul writes in Second Timothy. So Second Timothy is written right before Paul dies. It says, Luke is alone with me. And Paul is talking about uh, when he's in prison in Rome. When uh, we went to Rome this summer, Pam and I had the opportunity to go and if you ever go to Rome it's mind-boggling okay and uh, one of the places that David Bordner told me to go see is he said Steve if you get to Rome go see Paul's prison he said it's it's trippy to stand there and realize that's where Paul wrote the letters to the epistles so I went out of my way I mentioned it to our guide he really didn't want to go there but uh, I kept bugging him and so he walked us by but we couldn't go in because it turned out that two weeks earlier they had been doing some renovation on the building. It rained and the roof collapsed, so we weren't allowed to go in. But we stood right by the building, about 40 feet from it, looking at it, and that was the place uh, on the north end of the forum where Paul was in prison writing 2 Timothy. So you just stand there and you just get goosebumps, right? Just, wow, this is really close to stuff. So we, we got a chance to do that. He says, Luke is alone with me. So out of all those teams, Luke is one. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. So in crisis, in jail, under pressure, writing out the, some of the epistles we know in the New Testament, Luke is the only one still hanging with Paul. And Paul writes this letter and says, hey, by the way, go find Mark and fetch him. Okay. Get him over here. I need him. He's helpful to me. I, I, I need him uh, now. So go find him. And you think about that. For Paul, that's a pretty amazing shift, right? Uh, Paul's pretty, and don't look back. But for him to come back around and be looking for Mark is pretty impressive. Also, uh, Peter was very affectionate of Mark says this in 1 Peter 5:13, She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you her greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peter says, Mark, my son, it's not Mark my fellow worker, Mark my secretary, Mark my amnuus who writes my letters for, it's Mark my son. So Peter Mark come into this really heart-bonded relationship. The older man, Peter, the apostle, with the younger man, John Mark, and Peter takes him in under his wing like a son. You ever done that with somebody? Then you would know how that feels, right? It's just you adopt them. That's my son, right? And Peter writes about it that way. So it seems that the good work Mark did in being Peter's aide, writing uh, this Gospel of Mark, won over Paul by the end of his life as well, right? And so when Peter was killed, then Paul says, go and fetch Mark for me and uh, bring him back because I need him. It's helpful. So really uh, incredible, powerful stuff going on here. This is right during, the, as I mentioned, the persecutions breaking out. This is the forum. Uh, Roman Forum. This is the Colosseum. This is the people being led to the lions. This is Rome burning and the persecution breaking out. So this is the history you've read about. This is this right here. Right? So an incredible time uh, that it was written. There's also some other hints of who Mark is. Uh, I'd like to walk with these with you for just a second. So Mark writes his gospel and in Mark's gospel a third of it is devoted to the passion of Jesus. And he tells the story, like the other Gospels do, of the Last Supper. And he tells the story of the disciples and Jesus going into the garden and the disciples having a hard time staying awake because they've been running like crazy and they've eaten. They've gone into a food coma, right? They're in the garden and they fall asleep. Jesus goes and prays three times, comes back and says, Behold, my betrayer is at hand. And it says that they came to Jesus with a, a mob armed with clubs and swords and carrying torches. And Judas had given him a signal. He said, the one that I kiss is the one, arrest him. And so it says that when Judas came up and kissed Jesus, uh, that they grabbed him. And at that point, uh, the it said that the disciples all fled and scattered. Right. But in Mark's gospel, there's a, this really interesting antidote it says, "Then there was a young man who followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now how would Mark know about that? Unless he was there. He was probably the guy in the linen cloth. He had been following. His mother Mary was a follower of Christ. He knew all about Jesus and their whereabouts. And he was, oops, unintentionally in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? And he was going to boogie. And when he boogied, they grabbed the thing, and he broke right out of the thing, left and took off naked running for life and limb to get out of there. This comment, as I mentioned, is only found in the Gospel of Mark, and many biblical scholars feel it's an autobiographical comment about Mark himself. So it may be, it may not be, but it's intriguing to think about. And there's another one too, Um if you look at Mark chapter 10, uh, this story is found in all three of the synoptic gospels. Um, but this is the story of the rich young ruler. And it's, it says, as he was setting, Jesus, this is Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man, in the other gospel it says a young man, a young rich ruler, uh, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit an eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then these verses up here. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. In other words, he's a good kid. He's a good church kid. He's done right. He's, he's not gone off and know what other friends done. He's, he's done it right. But he's, there's something still missing. Something's not inside it's not connecting and and he knows it and there's something that Jesus is doing that's drawing him and attracting him and finally he can't take it any longer he runs up and he says what else do i need to do to inherit eternal life and they have this little theological you know to do between them back and forth well I'll do this well i've done all that right well there's one thing left and Jesus is amazing he always knows how to put his finger on the pulse of who you are. Uh, at the woman at the well, what did he what did he say? Go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, Well, what you've just said is true, because you've had five, and the one you're living with right now isn't your husband either. You hey, Matt, Would you have liked to have been there? <laughs> I, mean, I would. <laughs> no. Get me out of here, right? And with uh, Nicodemus, what did he say? Old man, you've got to be born again. Well, what? I'm supposed to jump back in my mother's womb? He says, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't get this stuff? What's wrong with you, right? And that's the very famous, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? With Zacchaeus, what did he say? He just walked under the tree and looked up and said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I have to have dinner at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus repented on the spot. What did he say to the rich young ruler? Ah, there's one thing. You really want to follow? You want to be close? You want to find that thing that you're missing? Go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and, and come follow me. Now that verse has often been taken way out of context to that uh, everybody should sell everything they have and go give it to the poor and come follow Jesus. Right? It's been abused a lot. But Jesus didn't say that to everybody. We're supposed to take care of the poor and we won't go into all that this morning. But who did he say that specifically to? The rich young ruler. Why? Because it was his pulse beat. Jesus put his finger right on the spot of what was keeping that young man from eternal life. Jesus knew exactly where the barrier was. He knew exactly what, what was holding him back. And so he says, by the way, he can do that with us too, right? He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly our hearts. We can look any way we want on the outside. We can fool anybody else around. We can even fool the people closest to us, our husband, our wife, our moms, our dad. It doesn't matter. We can be smiling. How are you doing? Fine. Okay? I remember, I used this before, but there was a guy that walked in church one time. This was years ago. North Shore. And he walked in and I said, How are you doing? He said, Fine. And I said some very unchristian words to him. I'm getting better. You like that? And I didn't mean for shock value or anything, but I said some very unchristian words to him, and he just shocked because I knew he had tried to take his life the night before. Right? Jesus knows how to put the pulse right on the issue of what your stumbling block with him is. Matter of fact, if you want to be really courageous and you want to pray an audacious prayer, you know, we've been telling you about these 21 dangerous prayers. Uh, They're praying and uh, you can look those up online. But one of the verses is, Lord, put your finger on the issue with me. Just you and me. Forget everybody else. You and me. Put your finger on, is there anything that's a stumbling block with you and me? That's a dangerous prayer, right? But um, it says in the story here, what happened? Disheartened. The young man went away sorrowful because he had what? Great possessions. And we know that his mother Mary had great possessions. We know that his mother Mary was one of the people that helped support Jesus' ministry. And so many scholars feel that this rich young ruler was actually John Mark. It would be fun to get to heaven and find out if that's true. right? Let's a few more things. We've got to wrap up here this morning. Wow, it is flying. Here we go. Hey, John Mark the writer. Now, we looked at who he is. Let's look at the, him as a writer. Uh, much of this is from the Expositor's Bible commentary that I use, and they do just a fantastic job. Okay? So, what you get in the story is he was not this dispassionate third party person. Right? He had tracked in and out with Jesus. He had been in good, out with Jesus. He had been in good and out with Paul, and then back in. He had been. Uh, good with Barnabas, he was in with Peter. So we're talking about somebody firsthand had trucked through all this stuff that we've read and he was part of the fabric of it. And he literally became part of the fabric of it by writing this gospel. He was intimately related with most of the events of the New Testament. So if he was truly the guy in the garden, he's the one that could record what was going on there because he was sneaking around following them. So it tells you a little bit about his nature, all right? And um, behind Mark is the eyewitness account and the apostolic authority of Peter. So what Mark did was listen to Peter's sermons and then take them and put them into written form. Uh, When he did that, the accounts were not written in chronological order. So Mark never set out to say, Uh, Here's exactly how they happened and the timing and order that they happened. He took the stories that Peter had and, and and he put them in and said, here's big block chunks of what took place. Lots of stuff was left out. But nevertheless, Mark was very careful to record accurately what Peter said. How do we know that? How do we know that? Because who else recorded that? Matthew and Luke. And they said the order is the right order and they put their stories down and recorded the similar stories. So if you ever want to do something fun, read Mark, then read Matthew, then read Luke and watch for all the parallels. All right? It's, it's kind of fun. All right. A couple other things and we'll wrap up this morning. John Mark is... It's thought that Mark wrote this gospel after the death of Peter, maybe even after the death of Paul. They're not totally sure. But they're pretty sure it happened before A.D. 70 because Mark makes no mention at all about the destruction of Jerusalem and the war that was ramping up by then. So that's why they think that. Mark is very brusque. His language is not refined. Uh, it's rough and immediate. Okay? Uh, and, and so if you look at the Greek, it's nothing like the polished uh, Greek that Matthew or Luke or John use. And so it's, it's very brusque. It's very immediate. It's very ba-pum, 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 and then this, and then this, and then this. And we'll go through the book, and you're going to get tired of the word immediately, okay. all right? Uh, You'll see what I'm saying. Uh, And so it was kind of like, any of you remember Joe Friday and the TV series Dragnet? Right? Remember that? Yeah, the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Right? That's kind of Mark. It's how it's laid out. In Mark, we are looking at the first recorded story of Jesus' life. So this takes us right back to the very first thing that was ever written about Jesus' life story is here in the Gospel of Mark, so it it takes us right to it. I, I find that fascinating. The Gospel moves as a story. The word "immediately" is used 41 times in the Gospel of Mark. We'll run into it at least three times next week alone, and and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and so it's it's hauling, right? Mark is interested in getting the story. He's not interested in being tremendously flamboyant or uh, uh, rich in color or uh, metaphors or all that kind of stuff. He's interested in recording the story and telling the story for the very purpose that people would know. If you read the story and you believe who Jesus is, you can have eternal life. He didn't have people who had a lot of leisure time. You say, well, why was that so? He didn't have a, people who had a lot of time. They could sit around and read a great big long book. Because why? They're under persecution. If you're running for your life, do you have time to read you know, a tomb you know, that's this big? No. You just give me the fa- What do I need to know now? Right now? Boom. And that's what Mark did. He just laid out, bang, read this. 16 chapters. Boom. And if you read this and believe it, you can have eternal life. And you better choose now because you're probably not going to live long enough to figure it out. So that was kind of the the setting for it. Uh, And so Mark is a gospel. This word shows up. This is the first time the word gospel is used that we know of written uh, in a book. It's the first time that a story is called the gospel. And you'll see that it's used uh, in Mark which means it's not just a history, although it is, it is history and it is accurate history. It's not just meant to be history and it's not just meant to be a story. Uh, like we would read a novel and hey, well, that wasn't that a great novel, right? It's not, that's not what it's intended to be. What it's intended to be is a communication piece of some information that you desperately need to have if you are going to make a choice for salvation and a choice towards God. If you want to be saved, you need to know what I wrote down. And that's called the gospel. It's called gospel means good news. Okay? Mark's saying, here's the good news. Boom. Short form. Go. Read it. Know who Jesus is. Know what He claimed. Know what happened. Know that He died on the cross for your sins. Know that He resurrected from the dead. And know if you repent of your sins and you ask Him into your heart that you will be saved. And he's writing this to people who had enormous pressure to make that happen for the, them and the people around them. Right? So this is the background. This is the setting. I hope you'd enjoyed that. I, I had great fun putting that all together and I found it fascinating myself. And I realized we're walking into some real context here. We're, we're, here's a guy who knows what he's talking about. His motives aren't to hook somebody. He's saying, this is what I ran into. Let me tell you about the guy I ran into because you need to run into him too. And let's pray that we run into him as we go through this gospel. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we pray this morning, uh, a lot of this is the background and the context. Some of it's conjecture. A lot of it is based on uh, good biblical sleuthing. uh, And a lot of Bible scholars have spent lots of time working on all this stuff. And Lord, we pray this morning. We're going to be going into this next week. It's a great opportunity, Lord, for us to read Mark ahead of time, to look at it for ourselves, and then we can walk through it as a group together. And Lord, I just pray you will use this gospel in really significant ways and that the timing of us going through it will be right, that this was of you and there's something you want to highlight for us as a church. And we give that to you a great hope and pray this in your name. Amen.